Welcome to Beauty and the Gee, the BJJ podcast about jujitsu and life from the female perspective. I'm Jen Eads. I'm a white belt full of curiosity and questions about all things jujitsu. And I'm AJ Klingerman, a Brazilian jujitsu purple belt, and I run the Role Model Women's Only Grappling Camp. In this episode, we are addressing a question that came from camp. Um, at the end of camp on Sunday, we did a Q&A session with Rachel Casillas and Emily Kwok, both world champions, and um, just let the girls ask questions and let Rachel and Emily answer them and just learn from their wisdom. And this question is all about competing. So I'm Rachel Bloom. Um, and my question's about competing. It's really closely related to what you guys were just talking about, but maybe in a slightly different direction. I've been training four and a half years. And for the first three and a half, I competed constantly and I loved it and I never got nervous. And then something like flipped and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then I kept getting injured. And now I feel really guilty about not competing a lot. And in some ways, I think I felt like that was the only way to prove that I belonged in mostly male gyms. Um, and I feel like I'm not testing myself and I'm not being a good example or something. Um, and I'm trying to tell myself that's not true and I can take breaks and come back to it. But I just, I don't have a lot of people to look to for that because most of the competitive females I know are younger than me. How do you deal with taking breaks from competition? And like, do you ever feel guilty about taking breaks? Like, is this weird? No. <laughs> 2012, when I stopped fighting, I was like, did you retire? And I was like, that's so like absolute. I'm still so young. Um, but I competed for the first 12 years of my jujitsu career. And I was like, I'm done for a little while. Let me have a life. Let me get married with like a big fancy dress. Let me have children. Let me do the things that normal people do. Cause I, I was not normal. <laughs> you know, like I was really not normal. I was like, you wanna go to the mall? No, I gotta train. You wanna come to this party? No, I gotta train. You wanna come to my wedding? I gotta train. So um, when I stopped competing, I was pretty done with it. I went back, I, I, you know, I competed very heavily from like 2000 to 2007. I had a real major mental breakdown. Then I started competing again, 2009, 2010. And I went for a couple of years. When I did that second iteration, it was because I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't a failure or that I wasn't a one hit wonder. Um, but that was overcoming mental injury, right? And like a, a negative psychology that somebody had implanted in my head. When I had children, that was entirely let me live my life. And then coming back from that, I was inspired by some of my students who are masters uh, five, masters six. I was like, well, if they're doing it, why can't I do this? Let me try. Masters divisions also didn't exist when I competed. So it's very different for me to come into a competitive space and say, oh, there's a place for me. I don't just have to fight everybody. And um, that was something to get used to. And for me, coming back and fighting in masters last year was actually a huge internal, I, there was a lot of internal growth with that experience because I wrote a, an essay about it on, on, my, um, on my blog, on my school website called Becoming the Conscious Competitor. I think a lot of us, when we do things, as many of us are doing things right now, you come to it a little naively. Not like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, but everything is a first experience. 
So it feels great and you're just taking it all in. But when you experience a setback, whether it's an injury or mental breakdown or external life circumstances, it's very hard to pick up the momentum where it left off. And then you start to experience what I would say is self-doubt and you start feeling like you're not worth it or you have to prove yourself a different way, especially because you're already a female or a minority to begin with. And coming back from that sort of self-doubt is a very difficult thing to do. But if you take the emotion out of it and you start tackling some of the issues that you have, maybe it's technical setbacks, maybe it's how you feel about the culture of your gym. But when you're able to readdress those issues that have sort of plagued your motivation to compete again, um, and you're able to overcome them, it gives you a completely renewed appreciation for what you're doing in this space. And in some ways, I think that's what makes you a healthier and more invincible competitor because it makes you go, I know this inside and out. I know what it is to be on the other side of this pain. I didn't let this pain or this issue or the setback stop me. So I think you're in a very natural phase and um, don't force yourself to do something that you're not inspired to do. But when you, if you do feel a little bit of a, a, uh, like a tinkling of why don't, maybe I should try to compete, you know, I would encourage you to go towards it and, and really examine and study what's made you feel that way in the first place and get over it. Like find a tactical way to get over it because when you do, you'll be a much more empowered competitor. I've, I've competed the best in my life the last two tournaments I've been in. I've completely either submitted or dominated my opponents. It's something that I couldn't have done before, but I think it's because I have a better mental command over myself. Uh, I agree with everything Emily said. My husband likes to say, um, you need, it's your journey. It's no one else's journey, right? It's your journey. Whether this person's competing 800 times a year and you're not competing at all, it's your journey. So there's nothing wrong with people not competing or with people competing more. Are you taking a break or not taking a break? So I try to remind my girls, my women's team, that it's your journey. Like, like if you're in a plateau right now and nothing seems to be working, that's okay. Everyone has plateaus. It's your journey right now. Um, we also like to say at our gym, you got to embrace the suck. Sometimes it just... My, my, my husband wants to make a shirt that says that, and I'm like... <laughs> I don't want you walking around a jiu-jitsu tournament saying embrace the suck like on your shirt. It just look weird, you know? But um, it means, you know, like sometimes jujitsu is hard and it sucks mentally, physically, emotionally. You know, you're going to get off the mat and go in the bathroom and cry because I'm awful at jujitsu. You're not awful at jujitsu. You had a bad day. Um, so that's what his terminology embrace the suck means. I think, yeah, what Emily said, you're in a complete natural state where you're at. Um, that happens to all of us. And after you win for a while, or more than once, you keep winning, it's harder to keep doing that. Like, and you, I have more, I had more self-doubt after I'd won some stuff than before I ever did. <laughs> Although I'm claiming J AJ's camp is like my good luck charm because, uh, yeah, I know. So, sixth camp, right? So, every year I've won the Pan Ams last six years that I've taught her camp, so she has to bring me back every year. It's my goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too. It's the only way I can win because she brings me to camp, right? Um, but the first one was great. Second one was great. But once you keep going, you're like, I'm like, do I belong here? When I stepped on the mat it was the first time as a black belt at the Pan Ams, I'm like, do I belong here? The girl I'm fighting flew all the way from United Arab Emirates. Like, like I'm this girl from Tennessee that just got my black belt. Do I belong here? Right? So the self doubt doesn't go away. It just you learn you learn how to handle it and focus it. And like Emily said, um, with the training. I always want to know that I worked harder than everybody else. Like, so yesterday, 
How many of y'all rolled after, afterwards, right? How many of y'all did five rounds? How many of y'all did 10 rounds? How many of y'all did 16 rounds? Yeah, okay, so that's how many rounds was I was first person rolling, last person rolling. I will never ask you to do anything that I won't do. I try to do every round that my girls are running, whether I'm being an idiot and putting myself in a place I should not, which is something I'm working on growing on. But I never, I always gonna be like, I did more rounds than that person did. I drilled more than that person did when I step on the mat. It gives you the confidence to go out there and say, well, there's nothing else I could have done. Like, if I get beat, it's because her jujitsu was better today. Not because she's better at jujitsu overall, but some days, that's their day and their jujitsu is just better. So where you're at is perfectly normal. You may get an inkling to compete or you may not, but it doesn't affect how good you are at jiu-jitsu or whether you belong. If you put on a gi and step on the mat, you belong in jiu-jitsu. That's, that's the way I look at it, like whether you compete or don't. I will always tell people to compete. You learn more about yourself than you ever will in the gym. I was just going to add um, internal orientation is really important, kind of like proactive versus reactive. Do things because you want to do them, not because everybody else, like you feel the pressure from. Now, and sometimes the pressure that you feel is imaginary because the worst pressure you have is the one that comes from yourself. Um, there's a really good book that I read called, uh, it's an older sports psychology book called The Inner Game of Tennis. Now, I know we're not playing tennis in here, but um, it talks a lot about self one and self two. And self one is the one that expresses a lot of doubt and it's the elephant in the room, get out of your own way. If you can't get over self one, self two, the one that actually knows what's going on, can't actually do the job that it's supposed to. So. Sounds like, you know, some of the things that you're dealing with is sort of why, like inner conscious stuff. And why do I want to do this? Why don't I want to do this? Um, so I, I would sit down and, and think pretty deeply about whether or not you're feeling the need to compete because it's something that you've questioned yourself about or if it's some sort of an external reason. Um, but if you do find that it's internal, it might be interesting to take it on, you know, and really dig in. And I think we've all been in a spot where we didn't, my husband, like two or three years ago, said, I think I'm not going to compete anymore. You know, I'll still go with you all the pans and worlds. I think I'm not. I'm looking at, why do you want to compete? That's great. Like, we always compete. This is what we do. We travel. We compete. This is what we do. And I couldn't understand. And last year, I understood. It was the first year after however many years of doing this that I was like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. It just came out of nowhere, right? Like, I like to talk about finding your why. I, when I'm at the pans or worlds or whatever, everyone goes before us. And then you're like on Sunday, right? So everyone can already eat. And you're like, these... Oh. And like everyone's celebrating and you're still, except at master we get it first. Yeah, it's great. So yeah. So I get to eat the first day and I'm sitting here drinking my margarita whatever on the strip while everyone else is fighting. Yeah. So that, remember that one time when I got my black belt, it was this big. Remember they gave to me? Anyway, so, but um, yeah. So I always have to find a reason why. And sometimes I don't find a reason why until the morning I'm on a treadmill trying to cut that last pound and I figure out why the hell I'm there that day. Right. But it's completely natural. Like if people tell you they don't, they're lying. Like all of us have been like, why am I doing this? <laughs> My body hurts. I'm old. Who cares? Like for me last year at the pans, it was, I mentally broke. I made a post about it. I think uh, people had shared like for the camp last year, I made a long post about it. I had a horrible weight cut. I was going to go feather. And then like 17 days before the pans, I'm like, I'm gonna do light feather. I always do light feathers. So what I've done for the last seven years, I have to do light feather. This is my division. I'm not letting you go. Like I lost my mind and I cut and I made it. It was awful. It was not something anyone should have done. I put myself in a bad physically spot, mentally spot. Um, and I was laying on the floor, it dirty carpet in, um, in the hotel, butt naked, covered in a towel, being like, I'm not doing this. I'm done. And uh, 
because I'm like, I don't have anything to prove, right? I don't need to be here. I've won the Pan Ams, whatever. But what gave me my why was because my kids are going to be sitting at home in the gym with a bunch of my girls watching on flow grappling. And I didn't want to explain to my son why I didn't at least show up and fight. So make the weight. That was my why. You got to find a why. Competing, you want to win. Great. You want to push, test yourself. Great. You want to show that your kids, whatever. Um, but if you don't know why you're competing, it's kind of hard to show up. So I always tell people, why are you competing? Get better. You have a goal, whatever it is. At least you got to have the reason to do that. AJ, what do you have to add to this conversation? Oh, man. <laughs> this one is, uh, I don't know, maybe good timing for me. Um, let, I want to address the guilt thing first, because that's what Rachel Bloom, who asked the question, that's what she brought up was just feeling a lot of guilt about not competing. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so hard. Um, I've always been a very active competitor and you know, didn't matter if I did amazing or terrible. I was always the first to register for any event. Um, and then here we are, you know, right on the heels of uh, Masters Worlds coming up. And I've changed my mind like 20,000 times a day as to whether I'm going to compete or not. Um, I probably shouldn't physically. Um, I'm trying to be smart on that injury idea, (laughs) like not competing through injuries that I shouldn't, but I feel a lot of guilt about not competing. Um, I've always said that on our team, I probably compete second most of anyone. We've got a guy on our team, Eric Board, that literally competes like every weekend, but he's probably the only one that's got me (laughs) topped. But so not competing, I have a lot of guilt. I have, I have guilt from, I'm a firm believer in leading from the front. Mm -hmm. Um, Rachel talks about like, she wouldn't ask her girls to do anything that she's not willing to do. So that's a struggle for me. And then, you know, I'm a sponsored athlete. I'm a Fuji athlete and I want to compete for them. I want to compete, you know, for my team for, you know, for James. So it's, it's all really a struggle. And I, I have a lot of guilt about not competing on the other side, you know, live to train another day. Right. So I don't want to be dumb and compete and be injured worse and not be able to, you know, train for the rest of the year or whatever that looks like. So I have a lot of guilt about it. And I, I really understand Rachel's question there for sure. The knowing your why. So first a quick story uh, with Rachel Casillas. I was there the first year she won worlds and I, Oh, I cried. I was, it was just, it was amazing. My husband, James actually coached her for that. Cause Ray, you know, kind of struggles with coaching her sometimes. So my husband, James coached her. I was up in the stands before her matches. She only had Gabby at the time. She didn't have Tristan yet. And she took a Sharpie and she wrote Ray on one foot, which is her husband and Gabby on her other foot. And she had uh, two matches in her division. And the first one, she won with a triangle on one side. And the second one, she won with the triangle on the other side. Um, but I just, it was just so powerful to me to like, see, like she wanted to grab a hold of her foot to lock up that triangle and see that she was doing this for her daughter and see that she was doing this for her husband. And so there is kind of that back and forth a little bit. Like we talk about, like, you should compete because you want to compete, um, which I do. I crave the competition. I do want to compete, but I also don't just want to do it for myself. I want to do it for my team, my husband, my girls, my 
you know, my sponsors, like all of that. So I don't know if that helps at all, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel Rachel's question for sure. Like I, I, I get all of that. Yeah. And I'm still debating up in the air on the next one. Yeah. So the ego is right around the corner as Mm -hmm. well. Because I've got a million reasons why I shouldn't do it. Right. But all it takes is that if I was crystal clear on what my why was, all of those reasons and excuses, they would just fall away. That's the thing. Those reasons would become excuses Mm -hmm. for sure. Right. They're reasons when you're not clear on your why. (laughs) (laughs) If you're clear on your why of why you want to compete or why you're going to get out there, then those are just excuses. (laughs) Exactly. See what we learn when we sit across the table and podcast and work through all of my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Like a therapy session. Totally. One of the things that I loved hearing, well, I'm not going to say I loved hearing. It was a relief to hear, but I'm like, oh, it never goes away is the self-doubt. Yeah. To hear athletes at that level that still have self-doubt creep in, there's a piece of me that says, oh, it's not just you. It's cool. But then to hear that they still get it. Right. You're like, so this never ends. Oh, <laughs> it is. It's kind of both sides of the coin, right? Like totally. It's, it's like, oh, good. You know, we're, we're all in this together. We all have the same feelings. We all have the same struggles. Do you mean I don't get over this? <laughs> this, is, this is always going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So that that was one of the the takeaways that I had from that. And then I think it was Rachel that said, well, yeah, I know it was Rachel because she was talking about embracing the sock and I would not wear that t-shirt just putting that <laughs> just, out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. That you're not awful. You you're jujitsu. You just had a bad day. Yeah. And that's it. And I think that's always a good message to hear over and over again. <laughs> right. Uh one of our teammates, Ryan, posted that, you know, he just feels like the more he trains, the worse he gets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and usually I tell people when they start to feel like that. It's it's that they're leveling up, mm-hmm. you know, that you're starting to realize how much jujitsu you don't know right. and that, you, you know, like you realize, oh, I'm not getting this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, you know, that you grow a little bit and you're like, oh, now there's all this this space I have to move into. Um, so on those days where you feel like you don't know jujitsu, it probably means you're getting better. <laughs> it's like last week. And you asked me as soon as I finished my role. How was it? I was like, oh, it sucked. Blah, blah, blah. Like I had all these things that yep. were horrible. You're like, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> and you've told me that it was my best role yet. <laughs> yes. Yep. I was like, that's the best you have ever rolled. Absolutely. Yep. And that's funny. That happened with me and James too. I, I'll never forget. Like I, the end of the round, I just felt so bad. I wanted to cry. I was like, that was awful. I suck at jujitsu. I don't know why I still do this. You know, like I apparently am just horrible, horrible. And, uh, he was his first thing he said, like, I didn't even say anything. Those were all thoughts in my head. And the first thing he said was, that's the best you've ever rolled. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was, How is that possible? And he was like, every time I moved up, you moved to me. Like you just kept coming after it. You never settled. You never quit. You didn't panic no matter how much I crushed you. It's like it was the best you've ever rolled. And so I always try to keep that in mind that to, to do those things, right? Mm-hmm. I never quit. I never settle. I want to, and obviously I keep it in a positive form, right? Right. Um, and, you know, that I just keep coming and, and I don't panic and 
And that can be the best I've ever rolled. <laughs> I love it. It gives me hope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of competition, I think that we have a great on the mat tip for this episode. Yes. So um, the next ego is our throwback event. Um, and for the throwback, it's no time limit. First to submission or 15 points wins. Um, so in all of the classes I've been teaching, both uh, women's only and co-ed classes, I make sure that everyone understands the points, right? Two for a takedown, two for a sweep, two for knee on belly, three for passing the guard, four for mount, four for rear mount. You need to know those points. And then I make you do math. <laughs> so when you're rolling that you are actually so in preparation for this tournament, we've been doing no time limit matches and I want to hear you call it out. Jen, take down two points. Jen, pass the guard, three points. I would really love to hear that. <laughs> that I want to say that. That'd right. be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, but, and then, so then, you know, you, you pass the guard. So, okay, now I have five. We're five zero. I want you saying it out loud the whole time so that I can hear you and I know that you know the points. Um, and then for this, like, winners go to the wall. Losers go to the other side and then I rematch you as we, you know, hit the wall or hit the the fence. And I think that has really helped everyone be cognizant of their points while they're rolling. In general, whether you're doing the the throwback ego or any tournament that has points, I think if you are competition prepping, you need to know how many points you have and how many points your partner has. Um, just so you know, like, am I down? Am I ahead? What's the spread? Like, okay, I'm up by one point and there's 30 seconds left. I need to stall this out. Or there's 30 seconds left and I'm down five points. I better get a submission. I don't have right. time to to finish. So really like on the mat, doing the math, knowing the points and keeping track of it in your head, uh, I think it's really important. I think it'll make you so much better at jujitsu too. Oh, I think so too. Just having that awareness and I don't know what my struggle is with it, but to try to keep track of the points and to not get choked and to do all of the things, like all of the multitasking and that that requires in your head, in addition to physically what's going on, because if we were not practicing this in class, I would get to the tournament and it wouldn't even occur to me right. to, to be thinking and be mindful of those kinds of things. Yeah. And sometimes in jujitsu, when we're rolling, we're just being physical. Like we're just doing the the jujitsu, but we're not actually thinking about the moves and thinking about, you know, what we're trying to do. We're just in that almost panic mode because we're just like trying to use our muscles and trying to, and we, we don't have a goal of where we're trying to go, which is important with game planning, uh, which we've talked about before. But if we're thinking through things and thinking through the math and the points and everything, then you know where you need to go. You know what your goals are a little more clearly in the moment. Oh, I want to say one thing too about the ego. So in the past, this is our, I think, ninth year doing the throwback tournament. Most people say it's their favorite event of the year. What I will say is the previous eight years, um, there were almost no women and children in the tournament. Very, very few in comparison to our others. Mm -hmm. 
And I always said, I think it kind of scares the women. Like the no time limit thing is intimidating. Truly. Yeah. And so then it's intimidating the mothers and they're not signing up the kids too. Mm -hmm. But when we first opened up registration and for like the first month, we were two thirds women. Really? Yeah. What changed? I I don't know. I think just education. And last year, I really was every woman that was there. I was like, please go back and tell your team how much fun you had. Like, tell your team, like, how how much you enjoyed this tournament. And so they're not as afraid of it. And then, you know, I I, I, yeah, I think most of it's just education and more women in the sport in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this year, the women are really showing up, which is exciting. I'm excited for the tag team. Oh my gosh. The tag team is so much fun. So it's four on four. You, your total team has to be under 800 pounds. You, two people start in one from each team, obviously. And then you can tag a teammate and you and your teammate then double team the one single person for five seconds. <laughs> no leg attacks during double team so that your legs are safe because mm-hmm. that's a dangerous game. Yeah. And at the end of the 10 minute round, the team with the most people still standing because if you tap your out wins so it's a tournament there are four men's teams and hopefully we'll have four women's teams (laughs) we have three right now so i'm really pulling that we'll get a fourth one so four women's teams four men's teams and they'll go the the winning team will get six hundred dollars Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. It Sometimes it takes them a few minutes to get into, like a minute to get into Uh just because you're like, I don't know what to do. But (laughs) once it gets going, man, the women last year, we only had two women's teams last year, but they were so exciting. It was so much fun to watch. Looking forward to that. See, now I'm back on the fence about competing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it later. Okay. (laughs) All right. Good. So what's our off the mat tip? Our off the mat for this week is to check out both of the resources that Emily mentioned. So the first one being the blog post that she wrote. And then the second one being the inner game of tennis, the book. And I will have links to both of those in the show notes. Awesome. Sounds good. Next thing we'll recommend is that you share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody that has some guilt about not competing um, or is looking to really hone in on their why of why they do compete or why they don't. But yeah, share it with a friend. We'd love for you to subscribe, follow us, all of those things, and connect with us on Instagram. I'm AJ Klingerman. You'll find me on Instagram at Brassy Broad Jen. And together, we are Beauty and the Gee podcast. Find us, connect with us, follow the adventure. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we will see you on, on the, the mat. mat. Welcome to Beauty and the Ghee, the podcast. Just the podcast. It's just the podcast. That's yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Beauty and the Ghee, the podcast. You're here. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs>